So let's talk about Together for Grace. Let's talk about what it means to be surrendered. And I want to entitle this, we're in Philippians chapter 2, and I want to just remember the context is king. This is a game changer today. This is a game changer. There's moments in our life where we can look back and say, you know, that was a game changer for me. So when I think about the context of Philippians chapter 2, it's all about relationships. And it talks about Jesus being the greatest servant. And Paul said, I'm a drink offering. I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering. I want you to get this picture. So they would sacrifice on the altar. There would be liquid that would be poured as a drink offering. That liquid would come up in smoke as it would burn at the sacrifice. And what Paul was saying is he was pouring his life out as a drink offering. He was saying, my life is dispensable. Listen carefully. He said, my life is dispensable because whether I die or whether I live, it's for Christ and it's for others. Remember, we've been fishing some coves. Here's another way to put it. We fish the cove of chapter one where Christ is my life. Chapter two, we're fishing the cove of Christ is my attitude, which has everything to do with relationships. And because my relationships have everything to do with Christ, then my attitude flows out of my relationship with Christ and my relationship with one another. And so Paul talks about working out what God has worked in you. He talked about working out your salvation. Not for it, it's a gift, but working it out. So he's saying, I'm asking God to pour out of me what he's poured into me. I'm asking God to work out of me what he's worked into me. That's what the message of grace is. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, this is a game changer. It's a game changer. And most commentaries and most resources, they skip chapter 2, uh, 14 all the way to the end of the chapter because they want to get to chapter 3 and talk about things in chapter 3. But God's Word, is all, all of it is important. All of it's inspired. And I think you'll find out that this is a game changer today. For me, I remember there was a game changer meal that I had one time. I went to, when I was pastoring in Tennessee, I took my worship leader to First Baptist Orlando because uh, Hillsong United, this was the first time their band was going to cross over and do a, uh, a whole weekend in the United States, and they were at First Baptist Orlando, so I decided to uh, use the church's money to go to a conference of Hillsong United because I felt like that would be a good thing and a wise opportunity for me um, to get some rest and also to get some really good music, so I decided that that's what I would do. And since I was the pastor, I didn't have to check with anybody, I just went ahead and did it. Well, what happened is we got there to the concert on Saturday night, and then we ate. It was a great concert and a great message and got to meet some of the band, and then we went to some worship seminars. But then my friend said, let's go eat at Ruth Chris's Steakhouse, because he's thinking this is on the church, and I'm thinking this one's going to be on you. You've never been to Ruth Chris's Steakhouse. I haven't either, but I'm telling you, I just Googled it. It was expensive. So what we did is we went to Winter Park, Florida. We decided it was the closest one to Orlando. We went to Winter Park, Florida, and we skipped one of the sessions, which is what pastors do at conferences that churches pay. We skipped one of the sessions, and we went to eat at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Neither one of us had ever been there. So when we got there, I saw the menu, and I saw the price. And of course, they said family style, so we're ordering steaks and uh, green beans and uh, sweet potato casserole. And it, it was beautiful, and it came out, and I, I saw the prices, and then all of a sudden, uh, we, we were just mesmerized because this guy comes walking out with these steaks. They, they're 1,500 degrees in the broiler. He's coming out with these steaks. When he drops them on our table, they're at 700 degrees. They have a mound of butter. It continues to melt, and then as we took our first bite, 
bite, I think it was 500 degrees. And when I took the first bite at 500 degrees, the, the steak continued to cook the whole time I was eating my meal. That's how powerful this was. And all of a sudden, my barometer for steaks went up really, really high because this was a game changer for me. I had never had a steak that good. And we ate and we ate and we ate and we ate. Now, my friend's dad knew the manager who was the manager at Winter Park, Florida, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And so when he brought the bill, I thought, I'm getting nervous because I'm thinking, I could pay with my church credit card, but I would have to explain to myself what kind of stewardship that was. And then, so I decided that I would probably use my own credit card because that would be the right thing to do. You can't trust pastors, I'm telling you. You can't trust the next one, you, you just can't. It's just the bottom line. But we came out, now let me tell you why this was a game changer. We came out and the bill was like over $200. Stamped on the bill was paid in full. Paid in full. So not only did I have a life-changing moment eating a steak, and that thing continued to sizzle, but I had a life-changing moment, the fact that I kept both of my wallets in my pocket and both of my cards in the pocket, and the whole level of the barometer of the steak and the free steak really began to set in with me. It was a moment that I will never, ever forget. Now listen, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 24 is a game-changing moment. It's a game-changing moment for our church today. It's a game-changing moment for you if you'll understand what Paul's saying. Paul is talking about servanthood. He's talking about trust. He's talking about Jesus had created a servant in Paul. Uh, Jesus had created a servant in Timothy. And Jesus had created a servant in Epaphrodites. And Jesus, if you're saved by faith through grace, he has created a servant's heart inside of you. So Paul is in prison that's his game-changing moment. Timothy's outside of prison. So how is Paul going to go to Philippi? He can't. He's going to send a messenger. He's going to send someone who's got the message right. He's going to send someone who's a servant. Look at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know of your state. The idea of the word trust here, but I trust in the Lord. The word trust is the word hope. It's a desired expectation. But let me tell you what this word trust means. It means to have a desire and an expectation. Paul had a desire and he had an expectation for the message to go to the church at Philippi. He needed to encourage them, but he was in prison. He was under house arrest, so he couldn't get there. So he said, I trust, notice the text, in the Lord. Your trust has to be in the right object. If you have faith, make sure your faith is in the right object. If you have faith and put it in the wrong object, that's a problem. But if you have faith and trust and put it in the right object, it's not your faith, it's the trust of the object that you have your faith in. His faith, notice this, is in the Lord. So faith is, uh, is waiting in the meantime before you know what God's going to do. Because Paul's in prison. He doesn't know whether he's going to get out. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. So here's one of the ways that we operate with faith. We trust God and we say, God, I desire this. I have this expectation. I have this hope and I'm hooking into hope. But watch this. But we stand back and we say, however, since I don't know your plan, Paul didn't know his plan, God's plan. I yield to your plan. I have faith, but I have faith in the right object. So if you choose to release Timothy or if you choose for me to live or to die, I'm okay with that. But I'm going to just trust that everything that I am and everything that I'm ever going to be, I'm going to trust that I'm in your hands. 
I'm just in your hands. So you can have faith, and I can have faith, but don't have the kind of faith that you see on TV where these people say, name it and claim it and blab it and grab it, and it's all about emotional. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. Your faith only has validity if it's faith in the right object, which is the Word of God. The kind of faith Paul had was he had hope and expectation that he was grabbing onto, but at the end of the day, listen carefully, don't ever lock yourself into a plan that overrules God. Don't ever lock yourself into a plan that overrules God. God's in charge. Paul knew that Jesus was in charge. So even though he had faith, he had a desire and an expectation to trust God, to trust in the Lord, not this name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, but live it out in prison, live it out under uh, house arrest, be free in the midst of bars, have a carefree attitude with Jesus in the midst, because I'm free from my chains. You can't stop the gospel. The gospel doesn't stop in jail. It moves all the way to Philippi. He said, I have a desire to send Timothy, but I'm not sure that's God's plan. Some of you today, you have a hope and an expectation that God is going to do this, or God is going to do that. Listen carefully. You may have that expectation and have that hope, but bow before him and whatever he chooses to do is still good in your life. He's God. It's in his hands, not your hands. And when it's in our hands, we can control it. When it's in his hands, we let it go. We trust God's plan. We trust God's purpose. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord who directs the steps. Some of you are in a job that you're hoping to get another job, and you're looking toward the other job. You have hope and expectation that you don't have to live in this job forever. Listen to me. Rather than looking at the hope and expectation of having this job, why don't you ask God to bless you and be a blessing in this job to the people that are around you 24-7? That's having hope and faith in the midst of your situation to say, God, if you leave me here, you must have purpose in my life. So Paul didn't know whether he was going to be able to release Timothy or if that was God's plan. Because here's the thing, God's world is bigger than our world. God's ways are bigger than our ways. And God's word is clearer than our word. So we have to trust him. Paul says, but I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I might be encouraged when I know of your state. So don't lock yourself into a plan that overrules God. Let me see if I can explain. He's releasing, his desire is to release Timothy to go and minister to the church at Philippi. That's what his hope and expectation is. However, at the end of the day, he doesn't lock himself into a plan that is his. He locks himself to a plan that is God's. A baseball in my hand, I've told you this before, is worth $5. But a baseball in Garrett Cole's hand... 242 million, right? Maybe more than that. A basketball in my hands, or Patrick's hands, uh, no, Patrick's hands, it, basketball would be worth more. In my hands, a basketball is worth $10. But in LeBron James' hand, a, pa a basketball is worth a whole lot more. It depends on whose hands it's in. So think about the hands that you're in. If you're in God's hands, if by faith you've trusted Jesus, and if, by, if you're living in the hope and expectation of being in his hands, you're in the best hands. So you can trust 
the dependency of God in the midst of your situation. And even though you have hope for something to change, you realize that God has already changed you in your situation so you can live at peace and joy in the midst of a difficult situation like Paul did because you can be an encourager while you're in prison. And if God releases Timothy to go to Philippi, he can be an encourager because the encouraging spirit lives in both. Jesus created a servant and an encourager in both of them. So don't lock yourself into a position that overrules God. Let's see if I can explain it like this way. So some people say, I'm just not feeling it. I'm feeling it. Well, listen, don't feel it. You know, for those of you women that have had babies, you know, I'm feeling, I feel the pain, right? You were us men. We took Lamaze class. We were the coach. Well, throw that out the window, would you? I mean, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I remember. But here's the deal. Someone who is going through labor pains right now, a woman who's going through labor pains now, some of you women can say, I feel for her. And the reason that you feel for her is because you feel for your time when it was your time to feel. You're not feeling her time. She's in pain. You're feeling your time. So when you think about God using you in hope and expectation, it's not a feeling. It's faith. Now listen to me. Let me explain it. So if something feels right and you do it, doesn't mean you show compassion. You can feel something and not do something. You can do something and not feel something. But when you feel something and you do something, and then you enter into the person's world like the pain of the individual, then you enter into the space and the place where you can relieve the pain. And that's what Paul was doing with Timothy. He says, I believe he can go into the space. I believe he can go into the space, and I believe he can minister. However, I'm in God's hands. I don't really know what God's going to do. Some of you are kind of in that letting go of the trapeze bar. You've let go of it. You're trying to walk by faith and you see the other bar coming. Listen, that's what faith is. It's when you let go. So we trust God. That's what Paul's saying here. I want to send Timothy, but there's some labor pains here. I feel it. I do it. But entering into that is a whole nother thing. Let's see if God wants to do that in his plan. Verse 20. Here's what he said. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The idea of the word like-minded, there's a kindred spirit. I have no one else like him. I wonder if God could say about you and me that there's no one else like us, that he's made something in us that's just only like him. Because you see, Paul had some character and Timothy had some character and there's no one else like him. Now listen, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Timothy learned to play second fiddle. Timothy learned to play second fiddle. He learned to play second fiddle because Paul was his mentor. Paul mentored Timothy. Timothy looked up to his mentor. Timothy was the one who uh, realized that Paul understood ministry better than he understood ministry. So he came under the authority of Paul. So Timothy understood what it was like to play second fiddle. That's what he says here. I know you're, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Write this down. You must first be under one's authority before you can ever be over others with authority. See, you'll never be effective in ministry unless you come under someone and understand a submissive servant heart attitude. There are a lot of guys today, they're young, they get out of school, they have a lot of passion and a lot of zeal, but no one's ever mentored them. 
They've never come underneath anybody to learn the effectiveness of ministry and let people pour into their lives. They come out of school and out of situations where they think they know it all. And Paul said, no, no, you, if you send somebody like that to Philippi, it's going to be a train wreck. Do you know if we send unqualified people to serve in a ministry, it will wreck the ministry? You send people who have learned to come under the authority of someone else so that they can understand what a submissive heart is, so that that submissive heart can be released. I learned this under a pastor who him and I saw things very, very differently. I learned to submit when I wanted to resign. We had a good relationship, but we didn't share the same philosophy and methodology of ministry. So I started looking for another church. And you know what God said to me? You stay right where you are, big boy. You don't understand anything about submission. Well, how could I submit to someone who sees things differently? Because Freeman, I'm trying to teach you submission. And the only way you'll listen to me is if I put the squeeze on you and allow you to submit to someone who's not asking you to be anything different doctrinally. He's just asking you to submit to him and do things that you don't think should be done. But I'm trying to teach you something bigger. I'm trying to pour into your life and build character into your life. So you need to be a submissive servant. So rather than leaving and being the over the authority of someone else, you need to be under the authority of this pastor so you can learn a little bit about who I am. Some of you are under a boss that you don't like. And you don't like the boss and you've already got your resume out there and you've been trying to get rid of this job for a long time. I wanted you to consider a possibility that Jesus might be shaving off some of the rough edges of your life and using someone who may not be very godly to do it. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, hey, I've got a guy who's proven. I've got a guy who's got character. I've got a guy who's got a kindred spirit. So here's what happened. Paul has a kindred spirit with Timothy. Paul's in prison. He can't move. Timothy can move. So Paul's desire is to send his kindred spirit. Paul is sending Paul to a group in Philippi. His name is Timothy because Timothy looks just like Paul because Paul mentored him. I think in our lives and in my life, there's much more that God wants to do and shape and mold in our life. So I want to encourage you in verse 20, never minimize the power of presence. Never minimize the power of presence because that's what's at stake here in verse 20. I'm going to send someone who sincerely cares for you. Timothy is not selfish. He's unselfish. So I'm going to send him to you. And when I send him to you, never diminish the power of presence. Timothy will be there for you. Listen, it doesn't matter what the need is, but I'm sending Timothy to you. Never diminish the power of presence in ministry. Never diminish it. 90% of ministry is showing up. 90% of ministry is just showing up. And when you show up, don't try to justify while you're showing up. See, our flesh loves to be pampered. We love for people to see that we showed up and we were the first ones that showed up and we're there because of this. Listen, when you're a servant and you're a submissive servant, you show up and you shut up and you serve and you give all glory to God. Boy, there's people in the body of Christ, and I've been there before. I have showed up in situations. I'm just confessing. I've showed up in situations so I could be seen ministering. God help me. Shed the position. I'm not a pastor. I'm a servant. I serve the word of God to the people of God. That's how I'm serving now. But when I was serving senior adults, I was still serving. 
It just looked a little different. So the idea is never diminish the power of presence and never try to justify yourself or justify while you're helping somebody because when you show up and help somebody and you try to justify while you're there, you, Jesus, when he reached down and just touched you, he didn't ask you to justify where you were so you don't try to justify where they are. You just serve. You serve. That's what he's doing here. Verse 20, I have no one that's like-minded who sincerely cares for you. I'm going to say this. There are pastors that love to preach, but they don't care about their people. There are. I can, I can let you listen to some great orators. Man, they can preach the lights down, the house down, but they don't love their people. I would be, rather be accused of a sorry, lousy speaker and love people than to preach the word of God and not live it in my congregation and love people. Thankfully, we had a model here of a man who loved for 53 years. Yeah, he loved to preach, but he loved the people he preached to. And I want you to say, I'm guilty too. I love to preach, but I love the people I preach to more than I love to preach. I'll spend time with any of you. You call me, you let me know. I'm in this thing with you. I don't have a corner. I'm a servant just like you are. But that's what Paul's saying. I want to send somebody who's got a servant's heart and you don't send somebody, you send somebody who's already serving. See, what we do in churches is we like to say, here's the need, so let's get somebody to fill the need. No, you get someone who's already serving over here, and if they're serving over here, they'll be faithful over here. They're not going to be faithful as you present the need, and they're not serving. Do you know why people get more put on them here? Because they're already serving. You know the people that we come to and say, hey, you want to serve on this team? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I'm go, no, you're on five different teams. Don't say. The reason they say yes, they get energy out of serving. And some people that we approach all the time, no, I'm too busy. Too busy for what? This is kingdom work. It takes all of us. Here's the text. Here's what it says. Here's what was happening in Philippi. For all seek their own. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. So evidently in Philippi, there were these pastors and preachers that were going around and they had their own agenda. They had their own purpose. They wanted to exalt themselves. They wanted to lift up themselves. So what Paul was saying is, listen, I've got a guy in Timothy. He doesn't seek his own. He seeks the things of God. And that's what we want to do here. We want to see that God uses us to seek the things of God. So we don't build our own kingdoms. We shed our position. We pick up the towel. We're willing to serve. We're willing to bless people who have hurt us and betrayed us because that's the call on our lives. We don't seek our own interest. If you seek your own interest, listen to me, it is a great sin to seek your own interest. Your flesh and my flesh loves to be pampered, but flesh is all that we are apart from Jesus. Jesus deposits a spirit of servanthood in our lives and people that are in it for themselves, whether it's the ministry or anything else, are a cancer in the body of Christ. They're a cancer and they need to be cut out. You see, I'm fair-skinned, I've told you this. Um, I got cut right here the other day. Stitches and all. My dermatologist called me and she said, based on the biopsy, you've got cancer. I said, what are my op skin cancer? What are my options? She said, I can burn and scrape it, but I'll never know if I get all the cancer out. That was a red flag. And then I said, what's the other option? She said, I cut you, cut you about that long, cut you right there, cut you, open it up, and you'll feel me scraping, but I can make sure I get all the cancer out of the margins and I'll send it off to confirm it. I said, I'll take option number two. 
Because I don't want to know if you scrape and burn all this time and you don't get it. Listen, in the body of Christ, people that seek their own interests, that want to be seen for their service, that want to be put up for their own glorification. God says in Isaiah 43, 8, I will share my glory with no man. That includes all of us in here. So if we are selfish, if we are a self-serving body, if we are people that want to look at and say, look at me, look at me, build me up, tell me how great I am, pamper my flesh, make me feel good, tell me what I really want to hear, that is selfish and that is sinful and it's a great sin and the body of Christ to serve with the selfish motive. Because those of us who Jesus has created a servant's heart in, we serve him and we are submissive to him. And when we are, people don't see us, they see Jesus in us. That's a servant. And that's what we want. That's what we want the body of Christ to be. So it's a great sin to try to have things done for yourself, to point to yourself how great you are. You're not that great. Let me tell you something about Timothy. Here's what Timothy did. He just said yes to Jesus. That's all he did. Paul said, go to Thessalonica. Yes. Go to Ephesus. Yes. Go to Philippi. Yes. You know what God says to us? Serve. You know what our answer is? Yes. It's never no, Lord. It's always yes, Lord. So we continue to serve here in the body of Christ. And when you serve, and you serve, and you serve, and I serve, then all of our service is donning the towel of servanthood, and it's pointing to the one who is the greatest servant of all, who in Philippians chapter 2 voluntarily uh, became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Why would we want to be selfish when the one who had everything in heaven came out of heaven and came down to us, and out of compulsion, he voluntarily served us. The Lord whom we love came and loved us. The Lord whom we serve came down and served us. That servanthood. Paul says, there's no one like Timothy who's like-minded in servanthood, and everybody around Rome is selfish, so I'm sending Timothy to you. It's a beautiful thing when you begin to serve. When you and I find our giftedness in serving, then we are really free on the inside. We're not serving to be okay with God. We're serving because we are already okay with God because of what Jesus has done. Look at the text. It gets better here. Here's what he says. But you know his proven character. See, this is, this is the attitude of a servant. The attitude of a servant has character. But you know his proven character that as a son... With his father, he served with me in the gospel. The word proven character means Timothy proved himself. He was tested by fire. He suffered. He, um, he was a model of servanthood, but he was also a model of suffering. He had been through some difficult times. And he had uh, let Jesus do uh, the fire thing on him where when he was um, in the oven of the fire, when Timothy and Paul were in situations that presented a squeeze, the character of Jesus came out of their lives. So when you think about your life, when you think about how you know, you're wanting to serve and you're wanting to give and you're wanting God to work through you, but God is molding you and he's building character in your life. And so I hope it's said of me that I have a proven character. I hope it's said of you that the heart of a servant in me and the heart of the servant in you is that we have a proven character, that we've been tested by fire. Any of you Marines in here, U.S. Marines? Let me tell you what happened. Some of the guys that I went to school with, they said, I can't wait to get away from my parents. I'm going into the Marines. I don't want to be under discipline. Help yourself. <laughs> it's called a DI, drill instructor. So the drill instructor would take this gawky teenage kid who had an attitude 
of flesh and had an attitude that he was better than everybody else. And that DI drill instructor began to break this boy down and break this boy down and break this boy down to the point that the boy wanted to ring the bell like in the movie and say, I want to go home to my mama. And the drill instructor looked at him and kept breaking him down and breaking him down and breaking him down because the drill instructor was trying to put him in the crucible. In order to be in the crucible, you got to skim off all the stuff that's impure because the drill instructor wanted to look down and he wanted to see a U.S. Marine. So this is what God does. He breaks us down and breaks us down and breaks us down, not in order to leave us down, but in order to build us up so that he can take all the impurities. And when he looks at the crucible of our life, he can see all the testing and all the fire and all the impurities. And he wipes them away so that he sees a picture of himself. That's what Jesus wants to do in you. So if you're in the fire today, I want to encourage you in the fire. God is trying to prove your character. Some of you are saying, get me out of the fire. Get me out of the fire. I don't want to be in the fire. Let me tell you something about the potter. When God put you in the oven, he already knew that you could withstand the heat because what he put in the oven, he knew would withstand the heat. So when you think, you think, oh, when God puts the, the squeeze on me, when God takes my life, no, listen, God has already shaped and molded your life. And when he sticks you in the oven of heat, he knows you can withstand the heat. So he's building character in your life. He would never put somebody in the fire if they couldn't withstand the fire. He puts you and me in the fire so that he can shape us and mold us. And when we come out, we're better than what we were before. He may break us down, but he's building us up because it's his character that's at stake. And when he says Timothy had proven character, means he's been in the fire. Some of you are in the fire today. And you're trying to run from the fire and you're trying to escape the fire. And God says, I knew everything about you before I put you in the fire. Don't you think I can handle you in the fire? Don't you think my character and, and my impeccable character and who I am and who you are in me, don't you think that I have something bigger that I'm doing in your life? And so God knew that Timothy could withstand the heat and had already withstood the heat and he had proven character. Look at verse 23, coming to the end. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. See, he still doesn't know what he's going to do. So write this down. Paul is uncertain about his future, death and jail, but he is certain about Timothy's future. Timothy has character. Timothy is ready. Timothy has been jumping off the high dive doing flips for a long time. He has proven character. Paul's hesitating at the high dive going, I'm just not sure I'm going to live or I'm going to die. But don't worry about Timothy. He's all revved up. He is ready to go. You don't have to worry about him. Paul is certain about Timothy. He's certain about Timothy. He's just uncertain about where he's going to be. And look what he says. Verse 24. Look at the text. Closing with this. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. The word trust here means to be carefree. The word trust means to depend on. It's a different word than the word trust in verse 19. The word trust in verse 19 means to have an hope and an expectation, but at the end of the day, be willing to back off and just trust God that you're in God's hand. That's not the word here. The word trust here means to be in God's hands. It means to have a settled persuasion 
that there's nothing that can take away your relationship of trust. So it's, it's settled. It's not um, anything that can be stirred or anything like that. It is a settled persuasion, a confidence, a reliability on a person. Trust in the Lord. Let me see if I can explain it like this to you. Um, when we lived in Albuquerque, we used to ride the world's longest tram. It was right down the street from us. So we would get on this tram. It's the world's longest tram from the valley in Albuquerque to the top of the mountain, Sandia Mountains. And you would get on that tram and you had to trust. There was a praying pole right in the middle of the tram. And it was a pole that nobody touched until the winds pick up. And in Albuquerque, the winds pick up once you start going up on the tram. So my whole family, we were there. We were doing just fine. Everybody's talking. Everybody's communicating. Everybody's saying, isn't this beautiful scenery? And all of a sudden, you feel the thing start going like this. It begins to sway. Um, all of us that had faith, we began to reach for a pole that was in the middle. <clears throat> so, so first of all, my eyes closed. And I said, dear God, I'll never do this again. If you'll get me out of this one, I'll never do this again. I promise I will never do this again. And so then I had so much faith, I put my second hand on the pole. <clears throat> then I saw other people grabbing the pole. It goes from top to bottom in this tram. Then my mother, she's kind of a carefree spirit. As it got worse, as the wind picked up and the tram's going back and forth, she begins to sing and begins to praise. And she's got this carefree attitude. And she's going around like this. And people are thinking she's crazy. But you know what? That's the word trust in verse 24. It means in the midst of your situation that you and I would be so carefree, no matter what happens around us, Jesus Christ is stable. We have settled our confidence, our reliability, our trust in him. Therefore, we don't have to hold on in fear. We can let go and live a carefree life knowing that he is our Savior and our Lord. That's verse 24. The text opens with trust, and the bookend to end verse 24 is trust. So let me close with this last story. I think it'll tie it all together. There was a stewardess that was flying, a flight attendant that was flying to Europe. She was able to get on the plane because part of the benefits for being a flight attendant for the airline is you can fly for free. You just have to wait for a seat to be available. So she got on the plane... And as she's flying first class on the plane, there was an emergency that took place on the plane. She remembered when they said, is there a flight attendant? Is there another flight attendant that can help us? She raised her hand to take care of the emergency because she was reminded, I'm on a plane and there is no cost to me to ride this plane. So therefore, there's no cost to me to serve while I'm riding on this plane. So at no cost to her, she rose her hand and said, I will help. She tended to the person that needed help, and she was a volunteer stewardess or flight attendant. After it was over with, she realized that she was able to go on that flight because it had all been paid for ahead of time. Think about this. She was able to serve because the cost for serving had already been paid for and was already in her benefit package. All she had to do was, I'll acknowledge that I'm going to serve because this trip isn't costing me anything. Listen to me carefully. We all have an expense, all expense paid trip to heaven. 
that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for. So because his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we are on our way to heaven. We are not serving to get to heaven. We are already saved to serve here. But while we're headed to heaven, we get to serve people because the gospel has made us free on the inside because at no cost to me and at no cost to that flight attendant, the cost has all been paid for. My bill, Ruth Chris, has been put on somebody else's tab. And with Jesus Christ, my bill, my sins, listen carefully, have been put on his tab. And guess what he did with my tab? He stamped paid in full. He paid it all. He paid it all. I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to wallow in my sin. I don't have to stay up at night thinking, gosh, the decision I made 10 years ago Oh, man, the consequences to that was really, really bad. Yes, there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin, but your sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary, just like my sin was paid for. So when I put my faith in Jesus today, then it's just as if Jesus 2,000 years ago, he paid for my sin. He paid for my past, my present, and my future sins. So I can rest in the fact that he put my bill on his tab. And when I walk out of this auditorium today and I go hand out Bibles, let me tell you something, I'm free. I'm not free because of me. I'm free because of him. I'm free because he paid it all. I'm free because when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I don't have to wallow in guilt and stupid decisions I made in junior high and high school. All that's been paid for. All that's been put and dealt with at the cross. And I am writing for free in this life because Jesus paid it all. And I don't have to worry about my future. My future's taken care of. I don't have to worry about my present. My present is taken care of. And I thank God that I don't have to worry about my past. Jesus took care of my past. You can walk out of here free today if you will trust Jesus as your Savior. It is a finished work. It is a full work. And it is a free work. And all you have to do is receive it at no cost to you.